On this Easter Sunday, we actually continue our First Corinthians series as well. In chapter 15, as I just mentioned, First Corinthians chapter 15 is the longest chapter of the New Testament epistles, not just the Paul's letters, but any epistles in uh, the New Testament. And it is on the doctrine of resurrection. If you remember chapter 13, which is the love chapter, uh, sometimes it's taken out of the context and coded in the weddings and uh, the romantic holidays. But actually, it, it is sitting in, in intricately connected with chapter 12 and chapter 14 in between. In light of exercising spiritual gifts given to the church. But chapter 15 and today's resurrection chapter stands by itself. But it is also, I think, um, whether you're visiting with us or continuing our study together, it is important to look at any text in the larger context. So let's start with this idea. Just like Californians, Corinthians had various beliefs and views of, about life after death. For example, there is a religious sect of Jewish group called Sadducees. Sadducees were very affluent, politically involved. A lot of office, government officials were Sadducees, the movement. And the Sadducees are known for selective believers. They only believed the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. The rest of the other Old Testament, they didn't receive it. Another thing was they didn't really believe in the miracles. And they also did not believe life after death. Their basically concept was, this is it. Many of uh, Californians believe that way also, too. So if you really have that concept, the life is right here, right now. Whatever I do feel like, eat, drink, and marry, and tomorrow will die. That concept. How about in, in Greco-Roman world, the first century um, culture, the Greek philosophy is predominant. There's a two, diff, two aspects of Greek philosophy were very influential. One is Epicureans. The Epicurus is the philosopher who thought as materialistic things and then ended all. Some, in a way that it's a Greek way of lo- looking at the Sadducees mentality. And our version is a naturalism. The people are naturalists, and anything is tangible and believing what I can see as if uh, one of the misconceptions is about the science. The science is the truest way of knowing everything. Actually, if you a little bit of a kind of uh, honest intellectual who look into the, what science is, my undergrad, I was a psych major, the social science defines a science this way also too. Anything that is putting into the experiment hypothesis is re- repeated and supported. It comes out as knowable truth. Suppose that you cannot really repeat anything. For example, uh, the repeatable things is ivory soap floats in the water. You could use the science by pushing it down in your, in your uh, bathtub. Okay, you're going to do it ten times. And out of ten times, it floats back. And your, your kid is saying, uh, I don't believe it. So let's do it again. Hundred times floats. 
And then that experiment results, it supports the hypothesis, hypothesis that is ivory soap floats. But when I was little, my mom loved me. How do you do that? There is no scientific method that you could use to know that. The presupposition of scientific knowledge is that that it is there are some some knowable facts through the scientific method and there are unknowable facts. And that's typically the case. But even even in still our days, uh, if you are the naturalist, insisting scientific method, and basically you do away with all the miracles and all the resurrection stories and evidences without looking at it. I'm going to plead with you, not that you have to force yourself to believe anything, but be an honest intellectual. Be open-minded. And you, you hear the words, I mean, the names of the famous the skeptics and agnostics in the world. And let me just mention a couple of them today. The, one by the name of Simon Greenleaf, who actually was a lawyer at uh, Harvard Law School. And then he tried to test it uh, using the you know, historical method to prove that Jesus really didn't arise from the dead. And he came to the conclusion that historical facts and evidence is supported that Jesus is really has risen from the dead. And he became a Christian and wrote books and he became a leading uh, scholar to, to continue that work as well. And there are some even law schools behind the, after his name. There's another person Retired uh, general in England by the name of Lou Wallace. After retirement, he got bored and he was riding a, a train with a friend of his, and he was a literary man, and he wanted to write a book. And his ambition and aspiration was, I want to write a bestseller that will be my legacy. The people will continue to read on and on. And his friend said, look at all those trains passing by. Look at all the churches, the house on the cross on top. You know Bible is historically all-time bestseller. And if you prove the Bible is a bunch of holes and myths, then your book, will become bestseller. He said it half-jokingly, but he took it seriously. Lou Wallace packed his you know, entire life and moved to Middle Asia, Asia and then start investigating as an honest intellectuals, going through Dead Sea Scrolls and every little detail. And in, during his second chapter he's writing, he couldn't continue anymore. He pl- placed a pen on the desk and knelt down and called Jesus my Lord and my God. With all the research material that he got, he wrote a book which later became a very famous movie entitled Ben-Hur. There are third kinds of uh, movements in first century also too. There are the spiritualists, people who are open for pantheons of Greek, Greek gods, who's open for anything. And even in our days, a new age is rampant and everywhere, and in reincarnation. Uh, I heard that uh, one of my favorite shows, uh, 
X-Files is coming back. And there are actually two original leading characters, leading actors are going to do, I, I guess, I don't know how many episodes they're going to do. Looking forward to that. The X-Files was known for that. You expect that you open wide, whether non-Christians or Christians, to the spiritual things, to unexplainable things. And such is the postmodern culture. So I don't know what you believe about life after death. But these are all things that are going on. Paul's intention right now is those culture came into the, to the Corinthian church and some of them, kind of in a weird way when you think about it, didn't have a problem with the resurrection of Jesus that much, but they didn't believe the resurrection of the body. How is that possible? Or maybe because of the Greek philosophy's influence. And his intention is go at this. But he's not just going, just like the Paul we know in the past chapters, he's not giving us a petty answers. He's not giving us a quick results in, in the short sound bites. He's actually digging in. The first 11 verses actually, he tackles on the resurrection of Christ first. In the next week, we're going to continue the question that arises from, emerges out of that. But if you are here today, and you don't usually go to church, and I'm so thankful that you are here, and you are in a treat, because what Paul does is he clarifies what the gospel is. We, we hear that word all the time, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Is gospel the gospel like a music genre? Or gospel some kind of a station, radio station? You know, if you ask any typical person, even the church-going person, what is the gospel? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but maybe there are so many different things. But what Paul does is because the resurrection is so central... He brings up the entire gospel, the essence of gospel. By the time when you finish listening to this message, you should be able to define what the gospel is. So the question, two questions that we're asking. The first one is, why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important? The second one, so what? What is the good news of Easter for all of us? Let's start with the first question. Why is resurrection of Jesus so important? Verse 1 and 2, Paul introduces the topic. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. At least three things here. Importance of the resurrection. One is that the resurrection is central to the good news of Easter. The word gospel is from the Greek root word euangelion. So any, any of the Latin students will know you sounds Euphemism, yeah, good thing, right? It's a good news. What kind of good news? It is actually from the ancient days of battlefield. And when you are really thinking about the war between the neighbor nations, if you lose, you become slave. Your children and your wives are taken away from you. It's everyone going separate ways. Some of the young men who's, who's in the battle and soldiers would be killed instantaneously. But if you win, there's a victory. Then not only that there's a freedom that you gain even more from the other nations, if you're evil, evil nation, 
that you will do the same thing and take kept them as a captives and slaves and abused people there. But even if you're a God-honoring people, there are the riches and, and the flocks and livestock that you could bring, and you become wonderfully celebrating. And if you read through the Old Testament, a lot of David's story when he was underground uh, soldier and the leader, captain of the, this army, a lot of his work was in that. So when you think about your nation's army went out to battle and you could see a person on a, on a, on a horse furiously coming and he's, he's uh, having a little flag waving and it is a flag of euangelion. The battle is won. I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> that good news was the root word for the gospel. And the resurrection is the central to that. Number two, it is the foundation on which Christian faith is laid. I just kind of alluded to that before the message. In other words, to be a genuine biblical Christian, you need to receive it and stand in it. And there are like threefold into that, right? You receive, meaning that you, you believe with all your heart, and you stand in it, your security is in it, and you are being saved by this message. And then Paul always gives us very countercultural message. If you really think about the cheap grace of our culture, which is the beginning of your Christian life is so important. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't have to really worry about it because it's really not up to you because God's grace does everything for you. And because of that, I honestly think the evil one has lied and given us the lie and people assuming they were saved. Look at Paul. Unless you believed in vain, vain. Paul's picture of security of our salvation in Christ Jesus is always the proof is at the end. If you endure, if you, if you persevere, whether persecution, whether it's a doubt, whether it's a dark night of your marriage, if you persevere, hold on to Jesus and hope, you will be saved. It's just horrific. I mean, it doesn't sound real, but have you read in, in, in online, if you just, a couple of clicks that you could see the horrific persecution that happened in Kenya just a few days ago. I think our time, Good Friday. 147 college students in Kenya and the majority of them are just gathering for early morning prayer. And the extremist Islam, the uh, extremist came in, just put a gun to everyone, and they couldn't recite the Muslim faith. On the spot, they began to shoot. So think about this. It is the foundation on which Christian faith is laid, meaning that if they really believed in Christ and lost the physical life, their eternal life is guaranteed. That's what Christians really believe. That's what the promises of God is all about. Another, another angle to it. The reason why this is a foundation is if you look at cults, if you look at any other religions in over, overall, what happens is 
the beginning of origin of the faith and religion is tend to be subjective feelings and faith. And if we look, if we live in in America and and uh, in the in the influence of the open theology and uh, Oprah Winfrey type of pop spirituality, what happens is anything is really possible in that. Because I feel it. Whatever I feel it must be right. It becomes relative. But I want you to know that Christianity began with the historical fact and event called resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I dare you to say this. If resurrection is false, if resurrection is, didn't really happen, our faith is nullified. And later on, chapter 15, Paul will say, our faith is futile. And there's nothing to believe. But if it is really real, you see, our faith, whether you believe it or not, the Christianity and Christian faith is built on historicity. That Jesus lived once and suffered and died by the name, the Norman governor by the name Pontius Pilate, and he was crucified and he was buried and he rose again. Thirdly, it is the determining factor for our salvation. When we hold on to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that resurrection becomes ours. And I'm going to save this a little bit when I explain the gospel. We will go into that just a little bit together. So now, the simple question that we're going to ask, what is the good, good news of Easter to all of us. Obviously, good news is the gospel. And I'm going to present four good news. It's a fourfold good news. But actually, the first two is the gospel itself. With the capital G, good news. And the second, the third and fourth is actually the good news about the good news. The reasons to believe these good news as true. But first, gospel first. Verses 3 to 5 is most succinct definition of biblical definition of the gospel. Paul puts it this way. Number 3, verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. If you read Paul, you know that Paul doesn't waste any words. So every single word is quite intentional. The first phrase that he said, I deliver to you as the importance of what I also received, he puts himself along the company of believers who have received this news, this gospel from Jesus himself. So he's saying, there is not Paul's gospel and the Peter's gospel and John's gospel. It is actually the gospel, one gospel of Jesus Christ, which actually came from Jesus himself. And I deliver to you. And there are two aspects about it. And if you glance over, don't do this. It's the online scanning. What is the gospel? Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel. No, it is not. Why? When you look at 
The first thing is that Christ died for our sin, sins in accordance with the Scripture. That whole thing is the first truth of the gospel. Jesus died not because he just wanted to be a hero. For our sin, there was a definite helplessness on our part. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't do anything about our sins. And that plan was already from the beginning of this universe. God planted the sovereign plan. And it was recorded as a trustworthy promises in the Old Testament scriptures. The second part is he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In the same way, Jesus' resurrection was planned by sovereign plan of God um, for our salvation. And it was recorded in accordance with the scriptures. Stay with me, okay? If you're observant, I just skipped some parts. And I said every single word is important, right? So when you think about in between, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that is the key statement. And the following is a support for that or clarification for that. The first clarification is that he was buried. What does that mean? That he really, really, really died. (laughs) I kid you not, there are just writings even online that people are, skeptics are basically saying that it's called the typical Sun theory. Jesus really didn't die, but, you know, they placed his body in the cool tomb and after three days, he gained, regained, and he walked up and came out. It sounds really ridiculous, right? But if, they, if you read their reading, it just sounds so serious. It is ridiculous. It's funny. Burial meant not only the government officials claim for his death, but acceptance of his followers as well. And uh, the second part, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And that supporting statement, verse 5, is that he appeared to Cephas. uh, The Aramaic word for Simon Peter. our, Our Peter is... Has a Cephas, he's, he's an a email address. Um. <laughs> he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Okay, th- this is what Paul is doing. Paul uses Cephas' name as a representative of all followers. He uses one name. Actually, we'll find out a list of names later. And then to the 12, the 12 disciples. But basically, he died for our sins according to the scripture. And he really, really, he was dead. He was buried. He rose on the third day according to scripture. And there are evidences, living evidences to back that up. So would you remember this? At least these verses, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, is the essence of the gospel. So now let's take a look at one at a time. The gospel number, the goodness number one is Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. When you think about Jesus' death, is that Jesus' death is a substitutionary death for our sins. He wasn't really volunteering to, for heroism, although we could have died and paid our penalty of our sins. No. Someone has to die 
And even if anyone who loves you so much, your mom or your dad or your, your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife and your husband, cannot die in your place because we all of us have our own death to pay. The problem becomes, really actually begins with sin. What is sin? And typically, if you grab anyone in the street, what is sin? Uh, breaking, breaking the law of God. Yes, that's a one definition, but a very limited definition. The biblical definition of the overarching term is hamartia. The Greek term is from archery language. When you shoot an arrow and the arrow falls short, miss the mark, and people said, you have sinned. That is the imagery. Romans 3, verse 23 said, for all have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. See, there isn't one person in the whole universe could live a perfect life, perfect holy life, sinless life that God requires of us. And that because of that, Romans 6.23 says, wages of sin, sin is death. Death, another definition, a typical person, a modern person will say, oh, death is when your heart stops. Okay, if you're a little more medically technical person. No, it's a heart stop for a while. You could revive that person. So you may be brain wave, EEG, stop. Then you die. Cease of functioning things. If you look to the Bible, the definition is quite different. And if you pay attention, you will really understand, you will understand the reason a logic behind the whole entire gospel. The Bible defines death as separation. There are three types of separation, three types of death. Physical death, your spirit is being separated from the body. Um, spiritual death is you're separated, your, your spirit is separated from God. Our sin nature, we're born with that spiritual separation. And then third and final, final separation is called the eternal death. Or Revelation is called the second death. Eternal separation from God. The consequence of sin is all three. Okay, for those of you who are Christians. Oh, I was born again term. The spiritually alive So that's why the salvation, your salvation in the past, is called the justification. God declared justified. You are justified because of Christ has done what Christ paid the penalty on the cross. But your 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 salvation and mine is not complete because our our spirit is saved. We have ongoing communication, and God accepts us, and we stand in the grace. All that is great. But you know what? Every single one of us will physically die. What about that death? Not to mention the second death. What's going to happen at the judgment seat? The Christians will say, oh, because of what Jesus has done, done on the cross, his blood shed on the cross, pay the penalty of my sin, and Jesus will declare, and he will, the judgment will pass over me. The second death is, is not for me. Yes, you are true. That is so true. But when it comes to physical death, we tend to get influenced by, like the Greek philosophers who, who thought the materialistic things are bad and evil, and you think spiritual things are good. So one of, one of the... Uh, Divergence of even our days in back then, the resurrection is believed as a spirit. That Jesus' spirit is Elvis's spirit is came back, kind of, kind of that, that kind of idea. He lives in within us. No, body 
is so important. In other words, when, when you say a human being, human being is not a, just a body or just a soul or spirit. It's a body, soul, and spirit all together. It's called human being. So therefore, what, what's going to happen about our physical death? This is what gets exciting. Our future salvation includes the resurrection of the dead body, dead believers. It's an incredible thing. I miss my grandma who influenced me with Jesus' love and Jesus' grace and who lived a life. I miss her. According to the Bible, on the resurrection day, her, her dead body will be raised. And then we will see resurrection. That's what we actually believe. Actually, I went ahead a little bit. But um, I want to I just quickly mention just two sides of Scripture. One is Old Testament. It is really that it's not a coincidental thing happened, but it is actually God's sovereign plan. Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 6. This was our meditation on Good Friday service. Bear with me for those of you who remember so, this so vividly. This was Messianic prophecy written about 600 years before Christ came. Prophet Isaiah describes the Messiah not as a political king, but as a suffering servant. And even my children, as we're reading it together as a quiet time passage that Friday morning, understood so clearly this is talking about Jesus. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom... Men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. Everyone's sin. Your past and present and future sins. Good news number two. Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And this thing is in a way that uh, kind of missed when we talk about the gospel. The good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sin is really the truth. But without resurrection, his claims doesn't hold the water. Without resurrection, our faith is futile. So because of that, what the scripture says is so important to us. The, starting with the Old Testament. Hosea 6.2 hints and predicts and prophesies about third day resurrection. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Psalm 16, verse 9 and 10. And this is David's psalm. And therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to show the place of death in Old Testament, or let your Holy One see corruption. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand this prophecy, but if you just pay just a little bit of attention, David is saying about his own life. But in the lips of David, actually, the son of David, 
The Messiah will come from David's, David's line, David's family. And then when he said, my soul, you will not abandon my soul to Shul, and let your holy one, holy one meant anointed one, the Messiah, see the corruption. His body will not decay. Going to the New Testament, Jesus himself, in John 2, verse 19, he said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. Going to Apostle Peter on the Pentecost, he preached, and at his message, 3,000 Jews received Christ. Verse 34 in chapter 2, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and he quotes Psalm 110. And look at this. This is really exciting. Uh, I, I should have paid attention to what I'm writing, but because of when you copy and paste, the capital O, capital R, capital D, went away. The first is the Lord is capital O, L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which meant Yahweh in the New Old Testament. Because of their, their reverence to God's name, they never used the word Yahweh, and they used the word Elohim or in, in that sense. Right? They, 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 always it meant Yahweh. So God the Father, Yahweh, said to my Lord, the second Lord is Jesus the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Apostle Peter concludes, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So if the gospel is really the Jesus' death for our sins and Jesus' resurrection for our resurrection in accordance with Scripture, there are two things that we, uh, we need to understand. Um, this resurrection is indeed supports the every claim that Jesus made. And we could actually look to Jesus for living hope. Do you have anyone in your family who's sick? And I have a brother who's very... Um, suffered his entire life with kidney failure and the brain infection called the PML. And he has a speech impediment. He's only two years older than me. It, it aches my heart. But when you think about this resurrection, and that his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, will be our resurrection. Whenever I visit my brother, and he smiles, he gets real. I get encouraged instead of encouraging him, comfort him, and I see. The vivid picture of future and good God's trustworthy promise. I could even almost imagine that when his body was resurrected, would be resurrected, and he will have a perfect body. Not the same body. The Lazarus body was a resuscitation, revived. And once he's alive again, he's going to die. And our resurrected body, Jesus, according to Jesus, is an immortal body. It's not the type of same body that we have. We don't know exactly what it is. So now, two supports um, for the good news. And I'll call it good news number three. The reason Christ appeared... Uh, the reason Christ appeared to his followers in several occasions and to various kinds of people, that it is not just a claim, but actually happened. L listen to this, Ch verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, 
he appeared to more than 500 brothers at, at one time, most of, the, most of whom are still alive, those, those some have fallen asleep. That's a Christian expression of some people died. Verse 7, then he appeared to the James. This James is not uh, one of the disciples, but James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe Jesus as the Messiah up until after the crucifixion, he became a believer and he became an apostle, a leader of the Jerusalem church. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He humbles himself. Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not really a full-blown, natural birth apostle. But he appeared to me. The appearance of risen Christ was a deep factor, one of the factors that supports apostleship. So think about this. If you want to make up the story, you want to stay away from the people who really know what happened. But this was only written in 20 years after crucifixion and resurrection. And what he's saying is uh, about 500 people, various different kinds of people, 500 people saw Jesus' appearance, and many of them are still alive. And if you say hallucination... 500 having same hallucination. Okay, let's say that that's even uh, sparingly possible. 500 people, every single one of them, willing to choose death just because of fabrication and hallucination. That's something they are not sure of. It's not possible, isn't it? I kind of, you know, recall back the stories that I read about Kenyans. Uh, they point blank, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? All you have today is to do is just say it. How many of them choose to confess Jesus as their Lord and chose death? Okay, let me elaborate a little bit. Paul doesn't mention all the names. The first persons to whom Jesus appeared after the resurrection were not men. Every gospel clarifies it was woman, Mary Magdalene. The cultural context really quickly. Woman, because of the you know, chauvinistic culture, they didn't count when you, when you count the census. And in the court, woman's testimony was not valid. They couldn't even stand as a testimony. So if you're fabricating your navi- the, the uh, resurrection story, would you choose woman to be the first witnesses? It will just makes sense even to just think about it a little bit is just the fact that all the gospel writers are naming the woman as the first witnesses. This is actually true. Really happened. And two other women and Cephas and two, two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the, the famous story of 11 disciples uh, except Thomas. Well, actually, I should say 10 disciples because Jesus, Judas Iscariot already uh, betrayed Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was one of those, a scientific guy. I will never believe unless I touch his wounds and put my finger into his nail-wounded hand. And Jesus... A week later, two, a week later, appeared to the twelve and told Thomas, "Do you not believe because you have not seen?" 
touch my hand and touch my side. And he did that ex expression of my Lord and my Savior. And Jesus said, You believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. They're us. And seven disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, another word for Galilee, 500 followers, probably on the, on the Mount of uh, Galilee, and to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to the twelve at the ascension, and Paul, at the time, Saul. When you think of all this, what do you really think of? And I would even put us on top of that, uh, really, the witnesses, internal witnesses. But it's just the external witnessing itself. John R. W. Stott writes, Perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. Amen to that. Song's story is one of those evidences, I believe. And I, to have that story, just hold on a second, I'm going to share, wrapping up. Let me wrap up with this final point. The reason Christ changed the apostle Paul's life radically from a persecutor of Christ's church to a bondservant of Christ. And he goes on to explaining about who he is. Remember, the um, apostle Paul, when back then, known as a Saul, was a persecutor of Jesus, persecutor of Christian church. As a Pharisee, he thought that all the Christians should be put to prison and die. But verse, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Thought it was not I, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, we preach, and so you believed. Paul's transformation itself really is the evidence for the good news. But that transformation continues in all of us. I conclude with this story and I want to quote, and I'm almost done. I grew up in a church. Uh, I was a nominal Christian. But during my teen years, Bruce Lee became my idol. <laughs> and I was athletic, and I got into huge fights a few times, and I became uh, a notorious for a tough guy. So if you look at my teen pictures, it's like a gangster picture. I don't smile at all. <laughs> But in my heart, there was emptiness. When I heard the same message I heard over and over one summer retreat that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose for my resurrection, the image was this, that God is light. And I don't remember, remember the preacher's name. The preacher said, uh, the reason why people don't come close to God is their dirty sins are exposed under the bright light. That at that moment, I think it's, in, in hindsight, it's the quickening of the Holy Spirit, opening of the eyes of the Holy Spirit. I finally realized I was a sinner, not, because, not only because of things that I'd done wrong, but, but because just the fact that I was 
willing to live apart from and away from God on my own. I don't know why that felt so sorry. It wasn't they weren't playing music. They didn't dim the light. It was right in the bright light of message. I felt so sorry. God created me for his pleasure, for my joy to intimacy with him. And I refused them. When I received Christ, the living hope became really the true. My friends thought that I was in some kind of a, on a high or drug or something. So I started smiling. I couldn't stop smiling. Because that was really the joy of Christ within my soul. I am not exaggerating the story. But joy hasn't gone away. I'm not saying there wasn't a depression, or there was a difficult time. Oh, I get all that. My brokenness, my sins are even glaringly more true now. But adding one more person, I, as a, as a witness of Jesus' life living in me, and I could say with all my heart that I wish every single one of you walk closely with Jesus. As song just beautifully shared. The hope, this is a quote that I'm going to end with. J.I. Packer writes, Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the God's promises of God as when the Anglican burial service enters the corp, ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it. The believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. If you are a believer, what will be your response? Mediocre person who is just merely surviving, distant and trying to keep the distance away from God so that you could live on your own life on the verge of Christian community? Come, return to God. Embrace him with joy, like song did. And if you are people who are disillusioned spiritually, dropped out of church and hurt by church people, or disillusioned by all these different crazy theologies, would you come focusing on risen Christ, see his hand and his side, Know that his wounds are for you. That he calls you to come. Come home, my child. How do I do that? You simply surrender your heart. And by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone, and in Christ, Christ alone, he will save you. He will give you your own resurrection when the time comes. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your scripture that opens our eyes 
this to this truth. And I pray for your whispers of gentle Holy Spirit within our hearts. That you will encourage each one of us as you nudge us to surrender our hearts and our all to take the hand of Jesus simply by faith and make us kind of person that you want to you want us to become we want to live not our, not for our own selfish goals but for our savior for our God who reached out to us for your glory. And as we celebrate the rest of the day, Jesus, we give you glory and honor. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.